Hi, this is Lisa Fields, the founder and president of the Jude 3 Project, and we have a bonus episode in which is me sharing at the historic Ebenezer Baptist Church in Atlanta, Georgia, on the topic of Change Your Story at the 400 conference put on by One Race. I hope you enjoy it. And before we get into the episode, remember that you can partner with us on a monthly basis financially by going to g3project.org. No amount is too small or too large. We thank you for our existing partners. Without further ado, let's get into today's episode. Hello, welcome to the Jew 3 Project podcast. I'm your host, Lisa Fields. I'm the founder of the Jew 3 Project. I'm excited to be here. Y'all might be sleepy after lunch. Uh, my name is Lisa Fields. I'm the founder and president of the Jew 3 Project. Uh, the Jew 3 Project is a Christian apologetics organization dedicated to helping black Christians know what they believe and why. By a show of hands, are, is everybody familiar with apologetics in here? Okay. Most of you are. I'm glad because some people think I apologize actually saying I'm sorry. So it is important to, to ask that question before I start uh, because apologetics is giving a defense for the faith comes from 1 Peter 3.15. But I'm not here to uh, wax eloquently about apologetics today. I'm so thankful for the invitation from Josh and Hazen um, and the whole team of One Race to be here at the 400 conference. I'm so honored. I am extremely tired, but I'm excited to be here. We just finished our two-day uh, annual conference yesterday, and uh, somebody said, you're speaking after that? I was like, it sounded like a good idea um, until, until today. Um, but I'm excited to be here. Um, I really loved um, the theme that went with this, the know your story, own your story, and change your story. And Josh, as I was asking him, what does, did he want me to speak on? He said, the change your story part. And as I began to think about that, I was like, how do we change this story in America? We're celebrating this 400-year mark as a historic thing, but how in the world do we get good fruit from a rotten root? How can we get good fruit from a rotten root? I was thinking about that because for many in America and Christianity, when we think of Christianity in our context, we think of terror. We don't think of something good if you're in the African-American space. So as I mentioned, I'm an apologist. And people will say, well, what's distinct in, in the black apologetic message that's not in the white apologetic message? And I always say that um, in, in black apologetics, we're not con solely uh, concerned necessarily with the existence of God. Many black people believe that God exists. But we are concerned with what, where God is in our suffering. And there's this notion in our suffering that if this is the Christianity that's been fed to us, why would we trust it? Because it seems to only work for white men. 
So we do an HBCU tour with the G3 project, and the questions that we seek to answer on historically black colleges and universities is, is Christianity a white man's religion? And many say, why would you think that? And I think one of the most helpful ways in which I think through this critically is thinking about a book that, um, called Jesus and the Disinherited. And in Jesus and the Disinherited, the author in that book, Howard Thurman, notes that he used to go to Daytona Beach every summer to visit his grandmother. And every summer his grandmother would have him read the Bible, but she would only pick out certain passages in the Bible for him to read. She would never let him read any of Paul's letters. Um, she would focus in on the Gospels and um, the Psalms. And he said it always bothered him. And one day he got up enough courage to say, Grandmother, why can't I read any of Paul's letters? And she said, my slave master used Paul's words against me. And I vowed never to read Paul again. So when I think about Christianity being a white man's religion, I think about the ways in which it's been manipulated to service white men and to oppress black and brown peoples in America. And so when we think about this, know your story, own your story, change your story, it's important that if we want to get some good fruit from what seems like a rotten root, that we must live out the message of the gospel in a way that challenges the American Christianity that has been perpetuated in our country. Because many times when we see things in American Christianity or white evangelicalism, we see a hyper-focus on the gospel message. But so little comes out in the fruit of our lives. In Matthew, Jesus says something interesting. He says, <laughs> in Matthew 17, verse 15, and I'm reading from the NLT, I like it because it's the, uh, written on the sixth grade level. And even though I have an MDiv, I still enjoy reading on the sixth grade level. Um, <laughs> Beware of false prophets who come disguised as harmless sheep, but are really vicious wolves. You can identify them by their fruit. That is, the way that they act. For many in America, we have not seen the real fruit of the gospel message. We've seen strange fruit. Hanging from trees with blood on the leaves and the root. Because the Bible was seen as a way and a method of manipulation, not a tool of liberation in the voices of many. So if we're ever going to correct the problem, if we're ever going to change the story, we got to live out the whole message. I love what he told Ezekiel, eat the whole roll the bitter and the sweet. Not just what benefits you, not just what you like, but the stuff that's hard to digest. 
the stuff that puts your power in check, the things that challenges your history and your own personal narrative, the things that challenge your savior complex, the things that make you hang out with black people when it's to serve them, but not black people that are your equal. That's the kind of bitter and sweet word we must eat if we're gonna live out the whole counsel of God. I always talk about this in apologetics in two ways because Ergen Kanner in his book, Encyclopedia of Popular Apologetics says something that I think is so vital. He talks about the two wings of apologetics. He talks about them, it being informational and incarnational. And many of us focus on the information we love to preach and proclaim the book. But there's another aspect that's just as important. It's incarnational. It's the living out that message. Because what, is, what good is it to preach and teach that Jesus got up on the third day if you don't submit your life to him? What good is it to be able to tell you that the Bible is authoritative and give you all um, the logical answers for it, but you don't live under its subjection? What good is it to be able to articulate the uh, importance of the Imago Dei when you still don't care about black and brown people being shot in the street? So we must have not only information, but the incarnation. And we are really pendulum people. We go from one extreme to another. But I always like to describe it as two wings on a plane. Now, for all of y'all who fly in here, I'm assuming most have flown, which wing would you rather have before you take off? The left wing or the right one? And many times we wonder why our Christian witness always goes down. Because we only have one wing on our plane. We have either information or incarnation. And God is saying the gospel message to move forward in America with all our history and our baggage we're going to need both wings on our plane because his witness has been going down because we focused on one side or the other. So that's one of the ways we change our story is we live out the whole counsel of God. That means I'm passionate about justice, but I'm also passionate about personal piety and holiness. Because just as God is a just God, he is a holy God. And I grew up Pentecostal, so what, what did they say? Holiness is still always right. <laughs> and that we not divorce God's attributes from one another, but we hold them in tension. That's the whole counsel of God. Because if we just preach justice, without talking about God's holiness and without lifting up his word, we'll have no foundation in which to execute that justice. So we must live out 
the whole counsel of God. We must have orthodoxy and orthopraxy. Number two, we must connect ourselves with the story. I talk to many people across the country who say, well, that was my ancestors. How are you gonna hold me responsible for my ancestor's sin? And I always find it interesting, Dr. Perkins, because we preach a gospel message that holds humanity responsible for the sin of one person. We hold humanity responsible for the sin of Adam. We are born in sin, shaping in iniquity, and we are not divorced from the father of humanity. So we preach a gospel that connects us from the fall of one man, but when we get to America, we're connected to original sin of Adam, but we disconnect ourselves from the original sin of America. that, then our gospel has no effect. Because we're trying to convince the world that they're sinners because of the fall, while arguing that we have no part in America's original sin. We indeed become hypocrites in the minds of Americans. And so it's important that we think about this critically, that we connect ourselves. I love as I'm reading through the Old Testament and I see Ezra, and I'm so empowered by the fact and challenged by the fact that he talks about the sin of Israel and he's repenting and he's always using us, we. He's repenting and I'm like, Ezra, you're not even, I don't know, guilty of some of this stuff you're repenting for but he sees us as interconnected. We gotta see ourselves as interconnected. In the West, we separate ourselves. We live in isolation, but the Bible is written for us as a community. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. There's our daily bread. Thinking about others, not just ourselves. In this book, Seeing Jesus Through um, Middle Eastern Eyes, um, the author talks about um, Mother Teresa, and she was in Calcutta. And in Calcutta, um, she was taking some rice to those uh, women and children who had been without food. And this woman had been without food several days, and she had four or five children. And they took the rice to her. And they, as they took the rice to her, immediately when she got the rice, she split it in half and left. And Mother Teresa and those who were with her were looking at each other and were like, what, what is, where is she going? What is, what, is she, what is she doing? 
And when she returned back, they said, where did you go? And she said, they were hungry too. In her own personal suffering, she still had the knowledge that her neighbor was suffering, that her neighbor and her children too needed food to eat. And so many times we are so self-centered, we are only thinking about ourselves, that even in our realistic comfort in America, we don't see others. I love in scripture, God says, when he looked on them, he had compassion. Sometimes we have no compassion because we don't see anybody other than who's in the mirror. Compassion comes, it seems, when I'm able to look at another and see their vantage point. And then empathy comes, and then I start to do something about what I see. See, what was so amazing in that story that the author noted is because the lady that went and saw and took the food in spite of her own suffering wasn't even a Christian. But because she could see the compassion and the empathy came, and even in her own suffering, she looked out for another. When is the last time you saw someone other than yourself? And when I'm talking about yourself, I'm talking about your race, your family, your things that serve you. When was the last time you looked for someone other than yourself? So you must connect yourself to the story. The last thing I'll leave you with is we need to repent and repair. One of the ways we all know repent means to turn, so we must confess. Usually we confess when we connect ourselves to the story. When we disconnect, the repentance seems hard because it's like, what am I repenting for? But then when we repent and seek to find ways to repair the situation, i.e. things like reparations, we'll see that the, when we repent and we see, we'll see that there's need. That comes with repair and reparation. So, like, for instance, when we see that there is a discrepancy um, economically between blacks and whites, we think to ourselves, how are ways that we can repair that breach? What are some ways that I can use my privilege to benefit another? What are some of the ways that I could use my gifts and talents to help another? One of some of the ways my white church can help the churches that are African-American, not the safe churches that I plant, but the African-American churches that have existed in the community for years that need something, what are ways that I could give to that community? And what are the ways that I'm hurting the community by preaching the message that there's no gospel in that community when there's five black churches already in that community? 
that have been doing the work for years, and they can't do more work if you take that million dollars that you put into the new church plant and put it in the existing church that's already existing, but may fear because it's not safe or theologically sound enough for you. Because we seek to colonize more than we seek to help. And sometimes our reconciliation falls on deaf ears because it looks like church planning and taking new people who feel guilty about privilege and putting them in the hood without funding the project that have been there for years. That if you took that $100,000 and put it into that black church that had already been running, it would thrive and do more than it ever, you ever could imagine. Because they already have the trust in the community. So I'm running out of time, but I want you to think as we go forward, as we, as we think about these things that this conference has put before us, knowing your story, owning your story, changing your story, that you remember that you got to live out the whole counsel of God, connect yourself to the story, repent, but also seek for ways to repair. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of the Jew 3 Project podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode. You can tune into all our past episodes at www.jew3project.com. You can subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play. Remember not only to subscribe, but also rate us. That helps us to gauge how we're doing and how you're enjoying the show. And it gives other listeners some ideas about the show as well. So thank you so much for tuning in. Also, remember we have our Bible engagement app in partnership with Back to the Bible to help you get better engaged in the Bible every single day. You take a survey, it assesses your strengths and weaknesses and sends you Bible verses based on those. So it's a great app. You can download the app by searching in your app store or Google Play, searching G3 Project, and it'll be right there for you. So thank you again. Remember, if you would like to become a monthly partner or a one-time giver, you can do so on our website or by mail. Just go to Jew3Project.com, hit that donate tab, and you'll see the option to mail in a gift or give online. We appreciate you, and I'm so, so thankful for you. God bless, and remember, here at the Jew3 Project, we're helping you to know what you believe and why you believe it.